are listening to an episode of Dope with Lime, a production of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Each episode of Dope with Lime explores the life, work, and legacy of Lillian E. Smith. Subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, at LES underscore center. Welcome. My name is Matthew Touch, and I am the director of the Lillian E. Smith Center at Piedmont College. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Julie Buckner-Armstrong, professor of English at the University of South Florida. Dr. Armstrong has written multiple books and articles, including Mary Turner and the Memory of Lynching from University of Georgia Press, and Teaching the American Civil Rights Movement, Freedom's Bittersweet Song from Rutledge. Currently, she is completing Learning from Birmingham, which she describes as, quote, a collection of essays about the iconic civil rights movement city where I was born. Today, we are going to talk about her project, Lillian Smith's impact on her work, and about her stay at the, Lillian, at the Lillian E. Smith Center as a resident. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Armstrong. Oh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to talk. My pleasure. So let's get right into it and talk about uh, learning from Birmingham. Okay. So even though you've written four books, you say that learning from Birmingham is your first foray into creative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And you add that, quote, as a civil rights educator, and especially as a white person who grew up in the 1960s and 70s era of Birmingham, you're conscious of your responsibility and about the story you had to tell. Can you tell us some about this project and the story and why you think it's important for us to hear and to listen to today? Okay, yes, and thank you. Thank you for asking. Um, is You know, I have a... Um, a a unique perspective, I think, as as uh, someone who was born and in an iconic civil rights movement city, and who grew up in the uh, the the wake of the civil rights movement. Um, I'll give away my age and say I was born in 1961. <laughs> so um, you know, a lot of my early formative years were in in what people refer to as the post civil rights era. And um, I left Birmingham in, in the 1980s and went on to, to graduate school in New York and ultimately became a civil rights uh, scholar and educator. So that, that dual perspective as a native and scholar, I think, is a, a, a city that for many people is a kind of touchstone of the civil rights movement. And um, that dual perspective, I think, gives me a lot of insights into civil rights movement past and present, um, especially the way that, you know, that people think about the movement as something that happened long ago and far away, um, only in the South and uh, so many, you know, misconceptions of, of that nature. And, and I want to, to make the, the point, even though th- this book is a, is a hybrid book, it's, it's memoir and, and cultural uh, criticism at the same time, I want to make the point that the, the, that the civil rights movement is, uh, you know, we still have legacies that we don't really recognize and acknowledge. And um, so it's the, 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 many of these issues continue on until this day. And I think that, again, that that perspective of someone who grew up there and left and came back and now is, uh, you know, looking at the city again, um, you know, I'm thinking, what is it that uh, Birmingham can teach us that we need to know right now in this time of very, you know, divisive uh, and fractious political rhetoric, especially surrounding matters of race. So. There, there were two things very interesting that you said there. One is you left 
and then came back, which reminds me specifically of authors like Ernest Gaines, even right. Lillian Smith, who of course went to China and she says that opened up a whole world to me. Right. How do you think that leaving and then reflecting back on um, your formative years and growing up in Birmingham affected kind of your view? As opposed to if you didn't leave and maybe just went to University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa or something like that. Right. Well, um, I, I think, um, and let me just uh, state that when I say I came back, I didn't move back home, but um, I left and uh, went to uh, school in New York, and I'm now teaching in Florida, and um, I, uh, you know, was always going back home to visit family and friends. But, you know, when I began to think about Birmingham in, um, you know, as I developed as a civil rights scholar and, and think about my experience, you know, I, I began to come back to Birmingham uh, through through a research lens, through an investigative lens to, to consider, you know, what I had learned from that experience and then what I think Birmingham can teach people today. And um, I think the, the leaving part and then coming back, you know, in, in the, between those 20 years, I, you know, I not only, uh, you know, went to a different part of the country, but I, you know, visited different parts of the world. I, you know, like Smith, I've, I've been to China, Mexico, uh, Europe, and, and so forth. And, um, you know, I see so many continuities between, you know, structures of oppression. Um, and I think growing up, you know, I understood racism as as a as a personal thing, um, as that you know, as if you know, as if I change my individual feelings about race or other people, then that's the answer. But as I traveled and educated myself, I learned more about oppression—not just racial oppression, but sexual and class and gender and and so forth as as systemic and structural and that was a, a lesson that I learned from going away and then I wanted to bring that back to Birmingham to think about you know what is the relationship between the personal and the structural and that's that's something that I've I really have uh, thought about a lot about because of Smith's writing and other authors such as James Baldwin but um, I want to you know begin to make that connection um, using my own life as a, as a kind of model of that learning process. Yeah, you know, like you said, Smith definitely deals with all of that. Right. And looking at not just that individual racism, but the systems right. undergirding it, and especially with Killers of the Dream, the myths of those systems that undergird it, and that educate young children and have them grow up in it. Right. So can you speak a little bit more, you know, Smith was involved with the civil rights movement, uh, and she used her platform like, like you're doing to speak out. Um, how and when did you first encounter her work? And kind of, you've talked about it a little bit, but what kind of impact has her legacy had on your own life and your own scholarship? Right. Um, you know, I don't really remember my first um, encounter with Smith. Um, I, I did take a, a Southern literature course and uh, I got a master's at University of Memphis and I took a Southern literature course then. And I, I remember her name from that course. But um, I think that I really began to, to read Smith more um, in depth uh, uh, when I was in uh, graduate school at NYU. And I began to do a lot of reading in uh, feminism and especially intersectional feminism. And so for 
uh, the first time I, you know, I was beginning to think about, okay, how, how do I fit into this bigger perspective? And then who are, you know, as a white woman, and then who are some of the white women who uh, can act as models for me in, in my own journey, in my own growth? And Smith is, you know, obviously, <laughs> obviously a, a case in point there. And so I began to read more and more of her work. And especially, so I came to it, you know, as a feminist, but as I began to develop as a civil rights scholar and educator, then I came back to her through that, through that particular lens and what, uh, what, you know, she uh, can teach us um, about, um, you know, intersectional uh, racism and feminism and sexuality and so forth. And you mentioned other women too. What, who are some of the other women who acted as those models? Smith and okay. who else? Right. Um, well, hi historically, um, you know, there are people in, you know, that, that come from Birmingham, like Ann Braden. Um, and then in terms of literature, um, I think uh, in reading, I'm also a big fan of Mab Segrist and uh, Race Traders. Um, and so those are two that immediately come to mind for me. Can you tell us a little bit more about Ann Braden? Um, you know, um, I probably, let's see. Um, I think for someone like that, you know, she is um, a, a white woman who uh, was born and grew up in Birmingham, but then went on to become act, you know, in, 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 in the, in, in the fifties and sixties, she was born earlier. And then, but then uh, went on to become uh, active in, in civil rights um, um, movement in, in the fifties and sixties. And so I think, you know, knowing that uh, there's someone who came from where I came from and went on to do, to be on the right side of history as opposed to the wrong side of history. I mean, I've always known about, you know, Angela Davis and her roots in Birmingham or Sonia Sanchez and her roots in Birmingham, but I didn't encounter, I didn't know when I was younger uh, that there were, there were white people too who did good things. <laughs> so um, it's, it's important to, to know that there's someone who's gone before you and who's paved the way. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the same thing with Smith too. Um, it's really interesting even now to hear people talk in the area, students or some. I came across a student the other day who grew up in Raven County and had never known anything about her um, and kind of learned about her. And we talked about her a little bit and we were doing something up at the camp. He was like, I never knew this camp was here. You know, Laurel Falls camp where she um, had the camp for girls up there and where they talked about race and sex and psychology and all of these issues in the 30s and 40s in, in Georgia. Which brings me, of course, to the questions about, you know, the residency program at the Lillian Smith Center, because you, you worked on your book partly there right. and had a residency there. So uh, how did you learn about the residency opportunities that we offer at the Lillian Smith Center? You know, frankly, it was it was from an email from a friend. <laughs> I have uh, uh, several friends who are uh, creative writers, um, friends, peers, colleagues who are creative writers and uh, you know, we're often sharing strategies, uh, sharing work, you know, talking about the writing process. And one day someone sent me an email and said, here, here a list of uh, uh, residencies and places that you can go. I needed uh, a, a bit of a, uh, you know, I needed time and space and quiet to think and reflect. And uh, I 
looked at the list and I saw Lillian Smith Center. Again, I did not know that existed. So let me look that up on the, on the internet. And uh, the minute I started reading about it, I thought this is the perfect fit for me. Well, what, what was your experience like there? I mean, was it restorative, creative? Um, I wouldn't say magical, but... Yes, all of those it, things. <laughs> can you describe it a little bit? Certainly. I mean, like? Certainly. You know, um, it was, um, I, they had just, this was a, 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 about a, a year and a half ago that I was there, and um, they had just started opening up the residencies uh, during March because previously they were just during the summer. Um, and so I needed a place to go on spring break. So I went during March. I was the only person there. Um, and um, so it was, it was extremely, you know, quiet and I had plenty of time to, to do the things that I needed. Um, but, you know, the people, the, the staff there were, were wonderful. Um, here I was alone on uh, what's called Screamer Mountain. And believe me, that occurred to me late at night <laughs> when I was by myself. Um, but, you know, people checked on me every day to make sure that I was okay, that I had everything that I needed. Um, so I felt very safe and secure. And, um, you know, just being, I think, in the tangible, I mean, you can say words like magical. And of course, you know, I went there in hopes that, you know, I could somehow soak up from the space or the furniture or, or whatever, I could somehow, you know, soak up some of Smith's spirit. But ultimately, you know, that, in, and that is true, but I think the, ex, the experience of, of staying in a cabin, the one that belonged to her sister, and then going into the main house and, and you know, sitting and reading there, it's the tangible artifacts of the place. I reread Killers of the Dream when I was there and I, I was reading, I, I guess, uh, uh, the copy, Smith's sister's copy of the book and, you know, just soaking up from that, the tangible material artifact, um, I felt as if that, you know, he, here's a model of, uh, of what I would like my life in writing and activism to be and um, here's the reality of it. And again, I said it's important for people to, to you know that you have models and people have gone before you. Here was that model in reality for me. Yeah. And um, it was extremely productive. That was the, the place. So we had talked earlier that, you know, my book was originally titled something else. And when I went there, I was very much struggling with what kind of book it was going to be. Was it going to be more memoir? Was it going to be more scholarship? Um, I thought it might be a collection of essays, um, but it, at that residency was the place where it began to take shape in my head as a coherent whole, a book with chapters that told a story that made an argument. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty much born there. Yeah. Great. What, um, Let's conclude real quick. And what do you hope that people and the listeners take away from Smith's work ultimately? Oh, wow. Um, so many oh, things. Easy question. So many things. Um, I can tell you what, you know, something that two things that I took away from the work and that when I 
teach Smith, I want my students to get from, from her. And one is that she uses this wonderful um, a metaphor in that first, um, in Killers of the Dream, in that first chapter, when I was a child, she uses this metaphor of uh, racism and oppression as like a steel cage, and that it affects e everyone uh, on either side, whether you are the oppressor or the oppressed. It's like this steel cage that that traps your mind. And even as you grow up and out of that cage, you're still warped and shaped by it. So um, that, that idea that it, it affects everyone who's part of that larger system and how it affects them. And it's something that's, that, that's, that's changing us or shaping us individually and as a society. And it's ultimately a detriment to, to our communities, to our, to our social world in which we inhabit. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that, you know, in the, uh, the last chapter, um, or one of the last sections, now I'm of course blanking on uh, the, the chapter that it is, um, on a, a man against the human being. She, I read this passage in there that uh, was talking about the, the demagogues. She was talking about Southern demagogues, but how they use negative rhetoric to rally people around the cause. And I was reading that and I thought, this could be, if I gave this to my students and they didn't know the date on it, they would think this is something written about the present day. So those connections between past and present in her work in there's so many chapter are so strong. There's so many passages I've read and I've posted them, say on Twitter or something, I'm saying, what year is this? <laughs> you know, what year was this written? And right. a lot of them were from Smith even before Killers of the Dream, from the late 30s, early 40s. Right. And people inevitably say, it seems like today. That was written like yesterday. Right. So the continued resonance, unfortunate, I would say resonance of her work um, within current moments, not just here, but I would say globally as well, is, is important to consider. So, and I think that that's something we need to take with us. And like you said before, the thing that really interests me and the thing that as a white man from the South too, that working with is how to get out of that steel cage as well, because it doesn't just affect um, people who are oppressed and subjugated, it affects the individuals who are doing that as well, which she right. gets to the core of. Absolutely. So thank Absolutely. you for spending time with us today. Oh, thank you, look, my pleasure. We look, we look forward to um, learning from Birmingham when it comes out. So. I think you're looking at a couple of years. I have one year to deliver it to the publisher and then another year or so in production. So I'll be here before we know it. That's right. <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dope with Lime. Did you enjoy this episode? Have thoughts? Use the hashtag Dope with Lime on social media or get in touch with us at lescenter at piedmont.edu. You can learn more about living at East Smith and the center by visiting www.piedmont.edu backslash les.